uh, of the seven churches, all right? Um, we started off with the church of Ephesus, right? And the problem with them was that they lost their first love, right? So they were a loyal church but loveless church, okay? And Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. You remember that, right? Then there was the letter to the church of Smyrna, okay? And you covered that in Bible study in your CG, Smyrna together with Philadelphia. Smyrna was the afflicted church, right? Afflicted but affluent. Jesus says, you are rich. I know your afflictions and poverty, yet you are rich. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, be faithful, okay? And then, and then there's the letter to Pergamum. You remember Elder Edwin came and preached, right? Pergamum is the, is the city where Satan has his throne. Remember that? So they were, they were kind of faithful but flawed because there was false teaching there, um, you know, teaching of Balaam, the Nicolaitans and all that. And, and Elder Edwin talked about the importance of knowing the word, right? Jesus, Jesus says he's the one with the sharp double-edged sword, okay? And then there was Thyatira, letter to Thyatira, which you again covered in your CGs. Um, this is the church that was, they, they were committed, but they were compromised, okay? They tolerated the woman Jezebel, remember? Okay, this uh, problem of immorality. Um, and then last week, uh, John Han preached on the, the letter to Sardis. So this was a dynamic church, a lot of things happening, but they're actually dead. And Jesus says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and it's about to die. And then comes the letter to Philadelphia, which you guys covered with, together with Smyrna, because Smyrna and Philadelphia were the two that, what? Had no re rebuke, right? No accusation, okay? So Philadelphia, Jesus says, I know you have little strength. Very possibly it was a small church, but it was a significant church. They kept, their word, kept his word, did not deny him, and Jesus says, hold on, persevere, okay? And today, we come to Laodicea, okay? This is the lukewarm church, okay? Lukewarm Laodicea, or if you're, or if you're British, it's Laodicea. Okay, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't say that, okay? Because, like, you know, we're Chinese, Han, you're pinging, like, Lao, Lao, Laodicea, right? Okay, uh, but, you know, if you hear other preachers, they may call it Laodicea, so something like that, okay? Okay, so, um, another recap, uh, this is the, the kind of the rough framework, right? Every letter uh, followed this, this rough framework. There's, just as there were seven letters, um, each letter has seven parts, right? The book of Le Revelation is full of sevens, right? Why is it full of sevens? Okay, complete is a perfect number, you know, number of perfection on it. Okay, read, read the rest of the book to fully appreciate it. Actually, you read the rest of the Bible to fully appreciate why seven, okay? So, um, it starts off, every letter starts off with an address, right? Every letter starts the same, to the angel of the church in blah, 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 right, okay? And then, and then after that, we will have an attribute of Christ, right? These are the words of, uh, you know, it's like, like kind of like stating the sender, right? This is the person sending. Um, it doesn't directly say Jesus, right? But it's an attribute of Jesus. And every letter, there is a description of Jesus that relates back to John's vision of the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Okay, if you read Revelation chapter 1, you will see all the description, like, you know, eyes of fire, you know, feet of burnished bronze and all that, okay? And then there is the approval and accusation, right? So some churches have no accusation, right? We said just now, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And there are actually two churches that have no approval. You know which one? Sa yeah, la, sad oh, yeah, so here's there, Sardis and Laodicea, okay? Um... And then, and then Jesus gives uh, usually a, some advice, okay, based on the situation. He gives, him, he gives the church the advice. 
And then um, it ends, the letter ends with an assurance. To him who overcomes. Or if you read the, the new NIV version, it says, um, to the one who is victorious. There is always a promise of a reward, right? The tree of life or hidden manna, the, the morning star, etc. Okay? There is a reward for the overcomer, for the victorious one. And, and you will see that every reward is actually a reference to the end of the book. The last, last three chapters when Jesus comes again, right? And there's a new heaven, a new earth and all that. And then finally, in all the letters, there is the same appeal, which says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the, what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, who has ears? That's, yeah, very good. That's all of us, okay? So, so this is like, hey, pay attention, okay? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so today, as we wrap up the series, I, I, I want us to really ask the Spirit to help us to hear, okay? To help us to hear what He is saying to us today. Okay, so let's, let's pray. Before we, we, we start, let's pray and ask the Spirit to speak to us today. Okay, just individually ask God, God, would you speak to me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that, God, your word is living and active, and it's like a double-edged sword. And God, today we pray that you will, you will expose everything in our lives, in our hearts, and God, you will come and speak to us, um, transform our lives, and, and change us to be more and more like you. So, Father, give us uh, hearts to receive. Give us ears to hear today. Um, open our eyes that we may see what you want us to see today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start by having someone read out the letter. Okay, remember the promise? I remember the promise? Blessed is the, the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, yes? Okay, so who wants to read it out? Oh, don't all volunteer at the same time. Okay, Ray T, fine, you can read it out. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witnesses, witness, the, <coughs> the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, rebuke, and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, thank you, Reiti. Okay, so today, um, as we talk about this letter, I, I am going to stick quite closely to the framework, okay? The framework. So we start with the 
the address, right? It says, um, to the church, to the angel of the church in, La- in Laodicea, right? Um, and, and I want to begin with a little introduction to the, the, the city of Laodicea, okay? And you know, the background to this city is important because in his letter, Jesus refers to certain characteristics of this city, and, and he relates them to the spiritual condition of the church in the city, okay? And, and the, first, the first thing that we need to know about Laodicea is this. Laodicea was a very rich city, okay? It's all about the money, 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 okay? It was a very rich city. It was a banking and commercial hub. It was like the financial center of Asia Minor. That's the area where all these seven churches are, okay? It was a trading center. It was a very, very wealthy city, Okay? In fact, there's so much money that in AD 60, when there was an earthquake that destroyed uh, the, the whole city, the, the Roman government offered to, to, to kind of give the people financial assistance to rebuild the city. Okay? And they were like, nah, no need. We have enough. We can rebuild it ourselves. Okay? So, the, you know, an earthquake, like, like you, know, um, you know, sometimes you hear about, okay, like recently it's like Hurricane Harvey, right? And then, you know, the city is destroyed and everybody has come and help, right? They're like, nah, we're good. And then they just... They have so much money, they just rebuild the whole city um, themselves, okay? He said, we have more than enough money, so no big deal, okay? Secondly, Laodicea was also famous for a very special breed of sheep, okay? That was found nowhere else. Why was it special? Yeah, because it's black, right? Because it has, it produced this soft, shiny, jet black wool, that was sold for a very high price, okay? So it was, it was like fine, luxurious, like branded wool, okay? Like, like designer wool, okay? Um, and, and people would come from all over to buy this beautiful wool. And that, that's how the city made a lot of money and, and they're very rich and all that, okay? So um, from being a banking center to producing this unique, fine wool, um, they were a very rich city. And, and thirdly, they were also a, a medical center, they were very famous for their medical advancements, okay? They had a good medical school, they had a good hospital. They were very famous for producing drugs and medicine. And in particular, they were famous for produ- producing this eye salve. It's like some kind of powder or paste that you put in your eyes, and, and it's supposed to cure blindness, okay? So people came from all over to Laodicea to be healed, especially of um, blindness, okay? The city was an important center for the treatment of eye diseases, okay? It's like specialized in, in, in eye diseases, so basically, this city and its people were, were known for its health and wealth, okay? Health and wealth city. And, and finally, the, the next thing I want to tell you about this city is that it was located near um, the city of Colossae. That's like, you know, the, the Colossians, Colossae, okay? And Colossae had um, a, a cold freshwater spring, okay? Which was, uh, which, which had water, right? That was great for drinking, right? It's very nice to drink cool water. Right? It's cool and refreshing. Fresh water. Pure, fresh water. Okay? So it's located near Colossae. But it was also located near Hierapolis. And in Hierapolis, there was um, hot springs. Okay? Hierapolis was known for hot mineral waters, like geysers, you know, hot springs. And people from all over the region would go to Hierapolis to take hot baths. It's like spa, lah. You know, they, they go there and they, I, I don't know, bathe in the, what's a spa? They, they bathe in the hot water. I'm very shook with that, okay? So, hot mineral waters are supposed to have therapeutic value, okay? So, nearby, so, so for Laodicea, nearby they had very cool and cold water, and they also had 
hot mineral water, okay? Um, and, and the Romans, they built an aqueduct, which is like a pipe, like a, like a, some kind of piping system, to bring water from these two cities to Laodicea, okay? Because it's like good water, right? However, the problem was, by the time the water got to Laodicea, can you see it's somewhere in the middle, right? Um, it, it became lukewarm. Because like hot water after a while, you know, you leave hot water there, it becomes, it cools off, right? Uh, so the hot water was not that hot anymore. And, and the cold water, where it's very cold and it comes and cool and it comes off in the spring. But by the time it travels to Laodicea, um, it's, it's just, it's not that cool anymore, okay? And so, so from water that's very good for drinking and water that's very good for like, you know, bathing, mineral baths and, and, and all that, um, it just became like this lukewarm water that's, that's not good for much lah. In fact, if you drink it, if you drink that, that lukewarm water when it's, it's no longer hot, right, the, the mineral water, it's actually, it's actually bad for your body. And, and it actually has this disgusting smell, you know, because there's so much minerals in the water, okay? So by the time the water came to Laodicea, it was neither hot nor cold, okay? It was not good for baths, not good for drinking, all right? So very rich city, uh, famous black wool, um, you know, medical center that treats eye diseases, and this lukewarm water, okay? So that's a little background to the city, and, and, and some of you may, may start to kind of understand the context of the letter a little bit more already, right? So let's look now, so, so that, that's the introduction to the city. Let's look now at the attribute of Christ, okay? The attribute of Christ. Verse 14, it says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Okay, what does the word Amen mean? The, the CG, oh. <laughs> uh, okay, other than that, <laughs> let's have somebody from the Amen CG answer. What does the word Amen mean? Amen CGL? <laughs> Guess? Any guesses? Means agreed. Okay? Okay, Amen means um, absolute truth. It means reality, okay? So it's not just like a random ritual, ritual word uh, to, that we say to close a prayer, amen, like that, right? You know, it's, it's, it's not like a key thanks bye, <laughs> you know, like, like we, yours sincerely, you know, we end off the prayer, that, that kind of thing, right? It's, it's actually, it's a strong and firm declaration and affirmation of truth, right? So if I say, for example, like, wow, I think I, I really look quite pretty today, and then somebody says, like, it's like, yes, you do, Joanne, right? It's like, hashtag truth, you know? That, that, that's what it means when, when, when we say amen, okay? It's like, yes, okay? Well, actually, it's not, it's not yes, it's yes, okay? That, that, that's, what, that's, what, uh, that's what amen means, like hashtag truth, right? And, and God is the God of truth. Jesus is the amen, okay? He is the truth, right? His promises are true. His word is true. He will keep his word. And... Jesus, he knows the absolute truth, okay? You know, in the letters to the churches, right, we keep, we keep hearing him say, I know, right? I know your deeds. I know this, right? Um, and he knows the truth. He knows everything, both the good and the bad. And, and I don't know if you have noticed, but there is, there is a common thread in the seven letters. It's this, this idea of appearance versus reality, Okay, if you study literature, this is a common theme in literature, right? The great theme of appearance versus reality. 
what the church appears to be like on the outside is sometimes different from the truth, the truth about it, okay? You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, okay? Man looks at the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so, sometimes the churches, um, outwardly, they seem one way, but actually inside, they are different. Some of the churches seem to be in poverty and affliction, but the truth is, Jesus says, you are rich, like the church of Smyrna, right? Or some of these churches have a reputation of being alive, but the truth is they are dead, like Sardis last week we heard. And, and for Laodicea, it's, it's like that as well. We'll go into it a little bit more later, but just look at, um, just look at verse 17, okay? This is the summary, right? Jesus says, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize the truth. Okay, you think you are rich and wealthy and do not need a thing, but that's just not true. You do not realize the truth. You are believing lies about yourself. And God is the God of truth. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. He knows everything and He can tell you the absolute truth about yourself. All the good and all the bad. And He is the ruler of God's creation. You know, some of the Bible translations, instead of ruler, they say, he is the beginning of creation. He's the, he's the source or He's the origin of creation. And in Revelation chapter 1, the Lord is called the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. And that's why He knows the whole truth because everything began in Him and He knows everything. Okay, so He is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. He's the ruler of God's creation. And these are the attributes of Christ that we will bear in mind as we read the letter, okay? So, next, we move on to the approval, except that there is none, right? There is absolutely nothing good that Jesus has to say about this church, right? Which is the, church with, which is the other church with no approval? Sardis, right? So, Sardis and Laodicea, there's only two. But at least Sardis still has like one line. Remember John Hunt said last week, one line that says, you know, uh, um, you have a few people who have not soiled their clothes and they are worthy, right? But Laodicea, Jesus has absolutely nothing good to say about this church. And so we have to move straight to the accusation. And, and this is the part that I'm going to spend um, the most time talking about because, because, you know, Laodicea really has the harshest accusation. Out of all the seven churches, right, this is, this is like the most Zialat church, okay? And this is the lukewarm church. And Jesus says it's very serious. He takes it really seriously. Things are so bad that Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about you or about our church? Like, you're so bad, I'm going to spit you out. It's very harsh, right? It's a sign of rejection, you know? Spit you up, right? Rejecting from, from, from me. You know, I've, I've heard, I've heard um, people say things like, Laodicea is the church that made God gag, you know? Or, or the, the church that made Jesus sick because he wants to vomit them out. And so we have, we have to take this very seriously. What is it that is so bad about this church? It's, it's summed up here, right? Just like the water in the city... Jesus calls the church lukewarm, right? The hot mineral spring water, it was good for medicinal purposes, 
the cold spring water from Colosseum was good for drinking, but the lukewarm mineral water at Laodicea was not good for anything, and it was just gross. Right? There were, in fact, there was a smell because of the high mineral content. And so if you tried to drink it, you would just be like, it would be so sick and you want to puke it out. That was the problem with the lukewarm water. And you know, actually for me, right, the best illustration of the problem of being lukewarm, you know, some people have a, have a problem with, with this verse. Just like, um, they say, oh, Jesus said, like, I wish you were either hot or cold. Does it mean that, that Jesus wishes you were either, like, you know, completely reject him, isn't like a lukewarm Christian better? Okay, but I don't think that's the point. You know, I think the best illustration is, um, is, is, is this, okay? It's with coffee, okay? How many of you here like, here like to drink coffee? Okay, I, I, I love coffee. Like, I love it. Look at that. What a sight of beauty, right? I just can, can, can almost smell the aromatic coffee. You know, you know when, 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 you're, when, when you're pregnant and when you're breastfeeding, you're not supposed to drink so much coffee, right? Because the caffeine is... Is, 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 is not good for the, the baby. And, and for the past uh, six years, I've been pregnant three times. <laughs> and breastfeeding, but, oh, I still drink. You know, people are like, oh, you know, pregnant, you cannot drink alcohol. Ah, oh, nobody cares about the alcohol. Just give me the coffee. <laughs> and, and, and now I just justify myself. Like, oh, I know one cup is not too bad. And then now I'm breastfeeding. I'm like, two cups is not too bad. You know, that, 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 that kind of thing, right? I think, I think coffee perfectly illustrates the problem of being lukewarm. Because you see, you only either drink coffee hot, right? You only either drink hot coffee or you drink iced coffee. No one goes up to the counter and orders lukewarm coffee, right? You know, because Singapore is so hot, most of the time I, I like to drink um, iced coffee, right? And then you take that first sip of the cold, intense brew and it's like, oh, so good, right? Or... Or when I'm overseas, like if it's, you know, especially on like a cold winter's day, you know, you buy a hot cup of coffee and drink it. Oh, so good, right? But, but, but lukewarm coffee is just, is just gross. Like I really like the taste of coffee, but if it's lukewarm, it's just gross. It's, it's really gross. Like, uh, so, so like, you know, when, when I buy your coffee for Nerd Week, I always make sure to chill it first, Right? Because I don't want to serve it to you lukewarm. That's, that's gross. Do, do you understand this? Or do you all just all not drink coffee? Yeah, don't drink it. It's, it's terrible. It's bad. It's, just, it's bad for you. Okay. So, so, you know, the point here is not Jesus saying, um, like, I wish you were either passionate or you completely reject Jesus. Right? Um, like, like, it's better to reject Jesus completely than to be a lukewarm Christian. I think that that's really not the point. That's not what he's saying. Because... Um, the cold water and the hot water served different purposes, but they served a purpose. Whereas the lukewarm water served no purpose. Okay? So it was the lukewarm water that was, that was useless. So what exactly does, does being lukewarm mean? Now, I think if we read the letter, we'll see that basically the problem with this church was that it was a self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and self-deceived church. Okay? They were spiritually indifferent and they were independent of God and they were ignorant of their true state. You know, if you look up the word laudition in a dictionary, just Google, right? Pe people don't really use this word anymore. It's quite, it's quite an old-fashioned word. But, but the definition that you will find of this word is half-hearted and indifferent. 
That's what being laudition means. They were so famous for being half-hearted and indifferent that the word, that the, the, the word, the name has come to mean that. Right? It's like, okay law, like that law, you know, half-hearted. Okay? And, and, and I think you can, you can picture it, right? It's like, you know, a, a, a decent, respectable church where everybody dresses nicely, you know, goes to church, does the usual service, you know, sing some songs, listen to a sermon, and at the, at the end of it all, it's like, okay, another day in church, and then you know, we go off, and we go back to our lives, as if nothing very much really happened, and we are unmoved, we are unchanged, and we are unaffected. And we just attend, do our bit, and go home. And we are fine with that. We don't think there's anything wrong with that. We never think there must be more than this. You know, the church of Laodicea, the problem is that it had settled into a comfortable Christianity. Very comfortable. There was no persecution, right? Not like, not like Smyrna and Philadelphia. There was no um, like big sin in like paganism or idolatry or heresy, immorality, like, like some of the other churches. They were just okay, law. Okay. Law. It's just like that, law. I, I think that the Singlish sums it up quite well, right? Just like, like that, law. There was indifference, apathy. And you know, nothing kills a church spiritually more than this. It's an attitude of complacency. When coming to church doesn't stir us, it doesn't transform us, it doesn't wreck us, when our Christianity doesn't cost us anything, it doesn't take us out of our comfort zone. You know, we're completely comfortable where we are. We don't have that, that divine discontent with the status quo. We're fine with staying the same way uh, month after month, year after year. We're, we're fine with spiritual stagnation. We're, and just like, we're just like, meh. We're just lukewarm. We're satisfied. We're content with where we are. We have worship, prayer, the Word of God, evangelism, service. Yeah, we don't reject these things. But we're also not particularly excited or enthusiastic about it. We're just, eh. It's like, oh. You know, we read his word and we're like, oh. You know, we, we come before him and worship and we're like, hmm. It's like that. You know, to sum it up in, in, in Singlish again, it's not here, not there. Not here, not there. Right? Okay, yeah, we're, we're not backsliders, you know. We, we still come to church. Uh, we, we may even serve. Right? We're not like going around murdering people. We're not, we're not I mean, sexual immorality, sleeping around or whatever. But we also don't really love people. We, we don't really find opportunities to share the gospel with everyone. We don't really delight in the word. You know, we don't really devote ourselves to prayer, to worship. We don't really worship with, with reckless abandon. We're just like that, law, spiritually Okay, uh, and we're fine with that. You know, I, I recently heard someone say um, something like, you know, I, I, I just don't think God or church is going to be the, the highest priority for me right now. And, and, and that just broke my heart because like, to consciously make that decision to say, like, God, you're, you're good. You know, I still, I still want you around, but just not as first priority in my life. Okay, I'll still come to church. Um, but, I mean, I won't be, like, super into it. But, but I'll still attend, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll just be here, lah. And Jesus' response is, I'm about to spit you out. That's his response. You know, I, I believe it's actually a great 
insult to God, to be lukewarm, you know, to be half-hearted in matters of life and death and eternity. You know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I know. You know, the, the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, like he loves you. He knows every detail of your life. He, he even knows the number of hairs on your head. And we're like, okay, okay. I mean, what an insult to our Lord and our Savior who gave his life for us. What an insult to live and behave as if God is not worth getting excited over not worth our enthusiasm. I mean, just consider how enthusiastic you are about God versus, let's say, how enthusiastic you are about other stuff, you know, like, I don't know, K-drama, like basketball, like Justin Bieber, or about, you know, doing well academically or, or, or about results and getting results, getting into a good school. Compare, just compare your enthusiasm. You know, a lukewarm church is useless to the world. Useless to the world. Just like the lukewarm water of Laodicea was useless. A lukewarm church is just a religious club. It's not salt and light. It's not a city on a hill, light of the world, as we are called to be. A lukewarm church is, is maybe good for some um, emotional support, some feel-good feelings, some fun activities, maybe make some friends, but that's about it. That's about it. Because it is enthusiasm and passion that spreads the gospel. Just read the book of Acts. You know, when a house is on fire, everyone will naturally come and look. When you see fire, you'll be like, oh, what's going on there? Everyone will naturally come and look. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? Tongues of fire and all that, and then, oh, 3,000 saved and all that. When you are on fire for Jesus, people will naturally want to know what's up. And the Acts church, they were on fire. And it says, the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. But when you are lukewarm, you don't offend anyone, but you don't win anyone either. And you're just useless to the world. So the church was self-satisfied. They were also self-sufficient. They were a very independent church. It's just like how they told the Roman government, nah, we don't need your help. We're fine. We can rebuild the city on our own. Earthquake, NBD, we've got money. We'll just take care of ourselves, right? And in the same way, the church, that was their attitude towards God. They didn't see their need for God, right? They didn't see their need for His help, for, for His blessing. You know, they, they didn't put their trust in God simply because they didn't think they needed to do, to do so. I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. That's what they said. And you know, there, there's nothing wrong with being rich. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a sin, right? But the danger of being rich is that you become too proud to receive help or even acknowledge that you need help, right? And, and in, their, you know, in their, their fine clothes and in their riches, they, they probably thought that, okay, I'm, I'm quite spiritual, I attend church, perhaps they serve, perhaps they gave a lot of money and tithes, but they never saw the need to trust God or to rely on Him and to truly operate in faith. It was the attitude of, I can take care of things myself, I do not need a thing. You know when we read verse 17, right? I, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. It, it sounds like such a terrible, arrogant, and proud statement, right? Like, I mean, who talks like this? And yet, many of us 
live our lives like this. We just do our own thing. You know, we were just happy doing our own thing, living our own lives. Sometimes when we remember, we say a quick prayer. But it's almost as if we're just trying our luck. Hopefully God may help, that kind of thing. You know, when you come to God feeling like you don't actually need anything from Him, then you come with a sense of patronage. You know, it's just like, okay, God, I guess you want me to come to church. Fine, I will come. And instead, we don't have that sense of privilege. Like, God, I'm so thankful I get to call you my father. Like, God, I can't believe I can just speak to the king of kings and you hear me and that you actually bother about me. What is man that you are mindful of me? You know, a sense of patronage says, I'm here to support the church. But a sense of privilege says, the church and God, they support me. And I get to worship him. I get to come to church. I get to pray to the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. And, and let me just say something about prayer here. You know, you know people only pray when, when they feel that they really need God. You know when, when you are self-sufficient, when you think you are rich and you don't need a thing, that's when you stop praying. And, and I'm not just talking about like praying for exams or like asking God to give you some stuff, help you with stuff, you know. I, I'm, all that's fine. But more than that, prayer is born out of spiritual desires. And when we neglect prayer, it just shows that we have zero spiritual desires, where we have no desire and no need for God. I, I'm always amazed when I ask people like, hey, is there any way I can pray for you? And they're like, nope, I'm good. Nope, nothing. Nothing much, uh, nothing much. Uh. I mean, I, I really don't get it. There's, there's nothing that you are relying on God for. That's us saying, I do not need a thing. That's the attitude. And when we can't be bothered to pray, when we can't make time to pray, it is because we have no idea just how desperate and needy we really are. Just how desperate and needy we really are. Which brings me to my next point. The, the church of Laodicea, they were also self-deceived. They were ignorant. It's like, own self, bluff own self. You know? And this is what the church thought of themselves. I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. And Jesus said, you're terribly wrong. You do not realize. You do not see. The truth is that you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. This is a description of a beggar, you know. And, and in, a, in a wealthy city like Laodicea, there, there would be many beggars in, in the streets. And Jesus is saying, you think you're so fine and rich with your nice wool, black wool coats and, 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 and all that, but really, you're just a beggar. You're bare. You're spiritually naked. You know, it's like the story of the emperor's new clothes. Do you know the story? Right? Where the, the emperor, he's... He's like walking around thinking he's so cool. You know, he has some fine, luxurious, special clothes. He thinks that everyone is admiring him. When actually he's just walking around stark naked. He's a joke. He's just parading his shameful nakedness. And yet he doesn't know it. And Jesus says, this is how you're like. Jesus says, you're spiritually blind. Their, their material prosperity and self-sufficiency had clouded their spiritual vision and they were, they were just blinded to their true spiritual state of being. You know, this city was a medical hub. 
right? It was a place that people came to for healing of physical blindness. And yet, ironically, in the church, there was spiritual blindness. You see, Jesus is the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. He is the one who knows and sees everything. Hebrews 4 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so on the outside, we can look like good, decent Christians, right? On Instagram and on Snapchat, we can look like good, decent Christians. We can look like we have good and and happy and cool lives. But if on the inside, we are sinful, horrible, broken, lukewarm, and spiritually impoverished, Jesus knows nothing is hidden from him. He sees through everything. And here's the thing. We cannot change and we cannot repent until we realize and see the truth about ourselves. And you know, this is something actually that that I've been realizing in increasing measure the past few years of my life, that, that truly I am wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. And and, and you may say, no, nah, Joanne, you're okay, lah, you know, you're a pastor, you're quite decent. Lah, you know. But man looks at the outward appearance. And yeah, maybe outwardly I look okay. But when Jesus shines his light of truth in my life, and in all the hidden and deep, dark areas of my life, and, and completely exposes all my, my heart, my thoughts, my, my deeds, my desires, There's no argument. I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I am a worm. It's like what that's that's what the psalmist says. I am a worm. I'm not a man. And and here's the truth, guys. And and I and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will reveal this truth to all of us here and convict us of it because only He can do that. And the truth is that we are we are all we are all wretched, poor, pitiful, blind and naked. It's just whether you realize it or not. Because when we come before holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, you may be a really good and nice person by the world's standards, but compared to our holy God, no one, no one can stand. We are all beggars. We are all losers. Even the great prophet Isaiah, he was struck, right? Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah 64 says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know, whatever shred of goodness we may have, it's just like filthy rags in the presence of our holy God. And you know, I'm not saying this to like guilt trip you or or make you feel bad or, or whatever. This is just plain, simple truth. Because unless you realize how wretched and pathetic you are, you will never fully appreciate and understand the greatness of God's love and grace for you. Unless you realize how genuinely wretched and pitiful and naked you are, you will never fully appreciate and and understand and, and, and be thankful about the magnitude of God's love for us. That the King of Kings sacrificed and went to the cross for us. That the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, He loved us so much that He made Himself nothing. He became a human. 
You know, he humbled himself to, to being mocked, spat on, flogged, crucified. He humbled himself to death on a cross for the sake of wretched, pitiful, poor, blind worms like us. That is the truth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me and like you. And until we realize how hopeless we are in ourselves and how wonderful we have been made in Christ because of His radical and ridiculous love and grace, until we realize that, we will always remain lukewarm. Until we realize that. So what do we do? What do we do? Let's look at Jesus' advice. Verse 18, Jesus says, instead of thinking that you have everything you need, come to me to get what you really need, what you really need, what you think you have, but you don't, you can get from me. And what does he say they need? He says, you need three things. I counsel you to buy from me. Number one, gold refined in the fire. Number two, white clothes. Number three, eye salve. And these are all things that the city was famous for, right? Money, clothes, and eye salve. Jesus is saying, you think you have all these. You think that, that you are rich and you do not need a thing. But what you really need is only found in me. Because true riches and wealth, it's not in money, it's only found in Jesus. And you know, Laodicea had their, their famous black wool, right? Jesus says, I have white clothes. And white clothes is actually mentioned um, several times, you know, in the book of Revelation. They are a symbol of purity um, and blessedness. Right? If you remember the letter to Sardis, Jesus says, the one who is victorious will be dressed in white. And if you read Revelation, you know, the 24 elders in the throne room, they are dressed in white. The faithful ones, the, the martyrs, you know, they, they have white robes. The angels are dressed in, in, in white, shining linen. You know, the, the armies of heaven are dressed in, in, in fine linen, white and clean. Being dressed in white is, is a sign and a description of the redeemed. And Jesus says, this is what you need to cover your shameful nakedness. And finally, I solve. What they needed was not some Laodicean eye salve to cure their physical blindness. They needed eye salve from Jesus to cure their spiritual blindness. The church of Laodicea, they, they thought they did not need anything, but they actually they had nothing. The things that they really need are only found in Him. And then we come to verse 19, which says this, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And you know, this is such a harsh letter. I think this is the only encouraging verse, right? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus tells them, I'm scolding you because I love you. Does this sound like what your parents say to you? You know, when, when my siblings and I were growing up, sometimes our mom would scold us very badly, you know, for some nonsense we did or whatever. And then at the end, at the end sometimes she would make us say, thank you for scolding me. Or like, thank you for caning me. And when I was young, I was like, S-R-S-L-Y, you know. But, but now that I'm a parent, I will also, no, I won't. <laughs> but I understand it. I understand it, right? That if you really love someone, you scold them when they are wrong. Because you love them too much for them to remain in their mistakes, in their wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked state. Because if a parent never ever scolds and punishes a child, 
Imagine what that would do for the child. Right? You know, in Chinese, they say, Da shi ai, ma shi teng. Have you heard that? What? You haven't heard that? Well, clearly, you guys are really good, man. Your parents. Next time your parents scold you, you tell them, Thank you for disciplining me. Okay? Confirm. Forgift, for, forgiven straight away. Brownie points. <laughs> Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And this is real love. This is, right? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Let, let, let me turn right now to Hebrews chapter 12. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can just quickly turn there. And you know, this is a passage that actually really encourages me when sometimes I feel I'm having a bad time. Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 5 onwards, it talks about discipline. Okay, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes every, everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm not scolding you. I'm not, not just like, like, Jesus is not writing this letter to just vent and, and scold them and then rant at them. And then at the end, they just blow them to smithereens, you know. He's saying, repent, turn back. Because Jesus is saying, I don't want to have to do to you what I will have to do to you if you don't repent. That's what he's saying. And so he continues to say in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Be earnest. Some Bible translations say, be enthusiastic, be zealous, be diligent and turn from your indifference. Because to be earnest, to be enthusiastic, to be zealous, and to be diligent is the opposite of being lukewarm. And Jesus calls for repentance. You know, Jesus says this actually to, to all the churches, except to the, the two that were not rebuked. He says this to all the churches, repent, turn, turn from your old way of thinking, from your sinful behavior. Repent. John Calvin said this, repentance is not merely the start of the Christian life. You know, when we first give our lives to Jesus, right? Repentance is the Christian life. And Martin Luther, if you don't know who Martin Luther is, you should really go and Google him. You know, he, he nailed the, the thesis to the door. And his first thesis reads this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. And then his last words were these, we are beggars. It is true. We are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. We are beggars. You know, as Christians, repentance should be the constant posture of our heart. Once we stop repenting, once we start thinking, actually, I'm okay, what? I serve, you know. Even though I'm so busy, I still come to church. I'm quite okay, you know. I'm not backsliding, you know. Maybe, maybe I don't really tell my friends about Jesus, but hey, at least I read my Bible. Every day that I read my Bible, I'm, I'm okay. Once we start to think, I'm not that bad, 
and we start excusing ourselves and we forget that we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. That apart from God, we have no good thing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Once we forget that we are wretched worms, and when we stop repenting, that's when we become lukewarm. So be earnest and repent. And then look at verse 20. You know, verse 20 is, is, is often quoted as a, like an evangelism verse, right? You know, we would tell people about Jesus, and we say, like, he's like standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Will you open the door of your heart and let him in? And it's almost like we reduce Jesus to this, like, cute little figure. He's knocking on the door, and then you just put him in, like, into your pocket, you know? And, and you know, the truth of salvation is that we are all the sinners. We are knocking on heaven's door and we are trying to get in, but we can't because we are completely sinful and God is completely holy. And there is no way we can get in on our own. Therefore, Jesus has to come. And he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is the door. Right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever come, no one comes to the Father except through me. If we're talking about salvation, Jesus is the door. He's not like, oh. and then I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm like, right? He's not, that, that's, that's, that's separate, okay? Salvation. The context of this verse is Jesus writing to the church. Jesus is not saying this verse to non-Christians. He is talking about this to the church. And the great tragedy of this church in Laodicea is that Jesus is not even inside the church. He is outside knocking on the door. Can you imagine week after week at the church service, all the Christian activities and stuff, but Jesus is not even there? And actually, the greater tragedy is that the Laodicean church doesn't even realize that because they are so self-satisfied, self-sufficient, self-deceived. They just continue with their church programs and activities without the Lord and it's fine. Yet all the time, Jesus is standing outside and he is knocking on the door of the church and he says, if anyone, anyone, just one person, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in. Do you know knock-knock jokes? Knock, knock. Like, who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? That's the joke, you know. It literally is like that. Jesus who? Except it's not funny. Imagine the whole church. No one realizes that Jesus is outside and he's knocking. Not one person hears his voice. He says, if anyone hears my voice. Or maybe they hear his voice, but they don't recognize it. And it's literally, Jesus who? John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me, right? But this was not the case for the church in Laodicea. Can you imagine how ridiculous it is? Jesus trying to get into the church. And you know, it's easy for us to, to sit here and be like, Yeah, so ridiculous. Laodicea, such a terrible church. But you know, we need to think, is, is this the case in our church? Is this the case in Lao Jen, 
you know, when we go about doing all this Christian stuff, we come for service, we, we do Bible study, maybe we plan camps and, and we plan events, or, or some of us, we serve, you know, worship ministry, media ministry, and actually, God is not even involved. He's outside the door. Is it like that in Lao Gen? So let me end this part on the advice by, by showing you this. Just now we talked about prayer, right? This is what Charles Spurgeon says. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, if he is outside instead of inside, one of the first tokens, the first signs of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Because prayer is the only thing that differentiates us from religious club, right? Your school, you have camps as well. You have, you know, stuff similar to like worship ministry or media ministry, right? You, you study stuff, right? You listen to talks. Maybe sometimes you sing some songs. Prayer is what differentiates us. So come for revival and breakthrough prayer tomorrow. Come for prayer meeting every Saturday, 2 p.m., 2.30 p.m. You know, we cannot be self-satisfied and indifferent. We cannot be content to remain at status quo. We cannot be self-sufficient because we desperately need God. So, Lao Jen, let's not be slothful in prayer. And then we come to the, the assurance, which says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, if we are earnest and repent of, of our lukewarmness, of our apathy and our indifference, if we repent of relying on ourselves instead of God, Jesus gives this promise that just as Jesus sits with the Father on his throne, we will sit with Jesus on the throne, right? Romans 8 talks about us being co-heirs with Christ, you know? The promise to the church of Thyatira, if you remember, was that to the one who is victorious, Jesus, I will give authority over the nations just as I received authority from my Father, right? Revelation 20 at the end talks about how those who have been given authority uh, about, about those who have, they've been given authority and they sit on the throne. Um, it talks about the faithful ones who reign with Christ. And you know, it, it's really an amazing promise. Can you imagine sitting on the throne um, with Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords over all the universe? That's the promise. Now, at, at, at this point, I just want to share something with you. You know, we've been looking um, at the, the seven letters for the past six weeks or so. Um, and, and some of us obviously had to be studying this and preparing for this <coughs> sermons and Bible studies even before that. And so I've been, I've been reading the seven letters a lot. And, and, and so, of course, as I read and study the letters, you know, naturally I ask God, oh, is our church like this, right? Every time I, I read each letter. You know, are we guilty of, of all these accusations that Jesus is bringing to each of this church? And you know what? Most of the time, the answer is yes, lah. Right, to varying degrees, um, to varying degrees for, for each thing that has been brought up in, the let, in each letter. But most of the time, the answer is yes, because of course, right, we are unable to say as a church that like, none of us have, le- have lost our first love. Right? Or like, none of us are guilty of idolatry or, or compromise or, or immorality. Or none of us are lukewarm. Right? And, and you know, to be honest, as a, as a pastor, it can be quite discouraging sometimes to read all these letters, like, oh man, there's just so, so much that is wrong with the church, you know, like, God, what do we need to do? There's, 
so much we need to repent of, so much we need to address, so much that, that we need to kind of, you know, turn from and, and, and all this. But this week, God encouraged me with this. You know that the promise here is about sitting on the throne, the throne with Jesus, right? If you read the next chapter of Revelation, Revelation 4, Revelation 4 is an awesome, breathtaking picture of the throne room in heaven. If you have never read it for, before, it's amazing. It talks about like a rainbow circling the throne. There's flashes of lightning. You know the song? Rolls of thunder. That's where it comes from, right? There's the sea of glass. You know, it's, it's clear as crystal. And, and, and everyone has cast their crowns because their golden crowns mean nothing in the presence of Jesus. You know, who is so worthy and glorious. And, and day and night, night and day, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then it hit me that, yes, churches are messed up. Humans are messed up. We are all messed up. You know, we're all worms. There's much on earth that is not right. And yet, despite all this mess, God is seated on his throne. And he's seated. He's not like, oh no, oh no. He's seated. He's like, he's cool. <laughs> he's seated on his throne and nothing detracts from his glory. Despite all the nonsense that is going on on earth, things are fine in heaven. God is, is unfazed. He is completely in control and things are fine in heaven. And then as we wrap up the series, I wanted to give you a, a little preview of the rest of Revelation. It says, this preview has been approved for all audiences. Okay. Um, and and you, know, you know, the, the seven letters are really just a short part of, of the book of Revelation, right? And, and I hope this series actually encourages you to, to read the rest of the book eventually. It's not easy to read, but I'm going to try to give you a, an overview that will hopefully help a little, okay? So, Revelation 2 and 3, these are the letters to the seven churches, right? And if you, if you read through them, you will realize that basically there are many things that are not right in the churches. Things are not right on earth. But if you read Revelation 4 to 5, you will see things are fine in heaven. Day and night, night and day, worthy, 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 you know? And um, it, in fact, if you read these two chapters, um, things are great in heaven. These two chapters have, have inspired so many songs. Are you worthy of it all, right? You know, like, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. They're all from these two chapters, right? Um, you know, and Jesus is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Nothing is wrong there. God is sitting down. He's sovereign. He's completely in control. The kingdom of God is solid and unmovable and unshakable. We're good. Then, Revelation 6 to 18, oh, many scary things. Uh, There's a lot of scary, bad stuff, you know, like seven seals, seven trumpets. There's a woman and a dragon and a beast and there's seven plagues, seven bowls of God's wrath and there's a lot of things, okay? But a broad summary of this, a lot of bad things are going to happen. That's the summary, okay? Things are going to get really bad. But remember, Revelation 4 to 5, okay, God is on the throne. He is completely in control, and all these things will not last forever. It will come to an end. Okay? And then the last few chapters, oh, Jesus returns, and things get a whole lot better. Okay? That's the big assurance for the one who overcomes, for the one who is victorious. At the end of the day, 
Jesus comes riding on a white horse. No more donkey, yo. He's riding on a white horse. He's here to judge. He's here to make war. And he wins. He's victorious. And things get a whole lot better. I'm going to close with um, the appeal of the letter. And, and let's get a worship team up. Um, all the letters, all the seven letters, end with this same appeal. And, and today, as we, as we wrap up this series, I want us to pay attention to this appeal of Jesus. You know, the letters are addressed to the churches, right? But the final appeal is always to the individuals, to the one who is victorious, right? And I, I, know, I know the new NIV it says, whoever has ears, but my NIV says, he who has an ear, let him or her hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? Singular, to the one, to him, he who has an ear, individuals. Remember Jesus says to the Laodicean church, if anyone hears my voice, anyone. And I think each of us, each of us need to individually come before God and ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? You know, as I read these letters, God, help me hear what the Spirit is saying to me. And just now we talked about um, Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And actually the verse before that, Hebrews 4.12 says, the Word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so today, let's allow the Word of God to uncover and expose our hearts, to judge our thoughts and our attitudes. So as the worship team plays, let's just come before God individually and consider this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Have we been lukewarm? Has our spiritual life just settled into a, a comfortable routine? Have we been indifferent and self-satisfied? Have we been thinking we're refined? We don't really need a thing. And we don't realize that we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Now, do we insult God with our lukewarm, half-hearted worship, our, our half-hearted devotion, our half-hearted service, our, our half-hearted fellowship, evangelism. God is looking for whole-hearted disciples. And today at the end of the series, I want to give you a chance to respond to God and especially today about being lukewarm you know this is something that we can so so easily settle into and we do not even realize it and I found in my own life that the more I, I learn about holy God, the more I realize how wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked I am. That really in the presence of a holy God, 
who can stand, who can stand. And that is precisely the grace that God offers us, the amazing grace that saves, that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. I want to invite you to rise. We're going to sing a song and and just continue to talk to God and ask Him what He's saying. And if you feel that, that you need to respond today, you need to be earnest and repent. Repent of our lukewarmness, our indifference, our apathy. I invite you to come to the front and, and come to the altar and say, God, I'm going to be earnest and repent. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you, and all I have within me, I give.
your name and attitude of prayer. be
up a fervor for Him in your heart, even when you don't feel like it, even though you've been distant from God for the longest time, that really things will start changing in our ministry, that no longer will be a bunch of lukewarm Christians, but really we will be a ministry that really loves God fully, that really lay, that we really lay down our lives for God and really go all out in this Christian world. And I'm not satisfied with just a lukewarm church. I'm not okay with this. And I know that it's difficult to, to say this when you feel like it's so far away. But, but today as we sing this song, let's really declare over our lives that, that if we don't feel that you know, God is with us, that we cry out to God, you know, God, stir it up in our hearts. And really without the Holy Spirit and without you coming to our lives, we can do nothing. And we're going to sing this song again. As, and as we sing it, let's really declare it over our lives. Let's declare it over this ministry. For we've been dead for too long. And, and this is not going anywhere. If we don't cry out to God, if we don't ask the Holy Spirit to come to our midst right now, to help us in our time of need. And really like the church in Laodicea, you know, we cannot be, we cannot feel like, you know, we are self-sufficient. We cannot feel like, you know, God is all under control. Because only God can help us. Only God can stir Stir, stir this in, in our hearts. And let's sing this song. As we sing this song again, let's really declare it over, over this ministry, over our lives.
You know, this is, this is not a pretty message. It's not, an, it's not an easy message to preach. But, you know, I, I make no apologies for it. And I think really the thrust of the message today is that truly we are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. And I say this not to insult you. Um, you know, Jesus didn't say that just to be rude. It's not like trash talking or anything. He's saying this out of love. He's saying, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And he says this because until we realize that truly we are wretched and truly we are worms. I, I really, I'm, I don't know how to explain this to you, you know. I, I'm not saying this to, to, to like guilt trip or, or, or make you feel bad or anything. This is really just like looking in the mirror, you know. The James says that the word is like a mirror and you look into the mirror and you realize how wretched and pitiful and blind and poor and naked you are because only only when we realize that only when we get to that point of self-realization and we turn from our self-satisfaction and our self-sufficiency and our self-deception only then can we understand God's grace and only then can our lives be changed because Lao Jen, if we are waiting for a revival and we think it's going to come from some great exciting feel or, or, or hyped up thing or, or camp or message or whatever. Sorry, it's not going to come like that. It's only going to come through repentance. Repentance is the only thing that precedes revival. And so until we realize that we are wretched worms, revival will never come. Until we realize how hopeless and wretched we are, we cannot, we cannot see revival. So let's come before God in prayer. I just want to encourage you to, to really adopt a posture of, of repentance. Which if you are convicted to, let us kneel before God together and just come before Him in repentance. we come before you 
Spirit, would you now increase our awareness and show us how wretched we are. Father, we repent of our lukewarmness, our indifference to you, of our apathy, that we are so self-satisfied, that we think so highly of ourselves, that we put you in a box and we just fit you into our lives as we choose and please, that we are unmoved at the love of a Savior who gave it all for us. Father, forgive us. Apart from you, we have no good thing, absolutely no good thing. Father, forgive us for relying on ourselves. Forgive us for making our own decisions, even though we say we have committed to follow you and call you Lord and Savior. Father, forgive us when we forget your amazing grace that saved a wretch like us. So God, I'm asking today, God, would you help us to be earnest and repent? Would you help us to turn back to you? Father, would we seek Revival, not in the sense of some mountaintop experience or hyped up feeling or, 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 or exciting thing about which we come to you really in humility and repentance and in awe of your grace and your love. So, Spirit, I pray that you convict us all to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll just leave the altar open if anybody wants to come and pray. If not, we'll see you next week.
us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us